Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 630. He were trying to convince himself. No, 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 no. Not for all the money in the world. I looked over my shoulder. The tracker's eyes were fixed feverishly on the clearing in front of him, but he seemed more afraid than aroused. Tempe stood, surprised plain on his normally impassive face. Dayton stood rigidly to one side, his face drawn while Espy's eyes darted back and forth between him and the clearing. Then Fleurian began to sing again. It felt like the promise of a warm hearth on a cold night. It was like a young girl's smile. I found myself thinking of Losi at the Pennyworth, her red curls like a tumble of fire. I remembered the swell of her breasts and the way her hand had felt running through my hair. Fleurian sang, and I felt the pull of it. It was strong, but not so strong that I couldn't hold myself back. I looked into the clearing again and saw her, skin silver-white under the evening sky. She bent to dip one hand in the water of the pool more graceful than a dancer. A sudden clarity of thought came over me. What was I afraid of? A fairy story? There was magic here. Real magic. What's more, it was a magic of singing. If I missed this opportunity, I would never forgive myself. I looked back again at my companions. Martin was shaking visibly. Tempe was backing slowly away. Dayton's hands made fists at his sides. Was I going to be like them? Superstitious and afraid? No. Never. I was of the Arcanum. I was a namer. I was one of the Edema Ru. I felt wild laughter boil up in me. I will meet you at the Pennysworth in three days' time, I said, and stepped into the clearing. I felt Falurian's pull more strongly now. Her skin was bright in the moonlight. Her long hair fell like a shadow all around her. Saw this, I heard Dayton say behind me. If he's going, then I'm good. There was a short scuffle ending with the sound of something hitting the ground. I glanced behind me and saw him face down on the low grass. Hespy had her knee on the small of his back, and one of his arms pulled up tight behind him. He was struggling weakly and cursing strongly. Tempe watched them impassively as if scoring a wrestling bout. Martin was gesturing frantically in my direction. Kid, he hissed urgently, get back here. Kid, come back. I turned back to the stream. Falurian was watching me. Even from a hundred feet away, I could see her eyes, dark and curious. Her mouth spread into a wide, dangerous smile. She laughed a wild laugh. It was bright and delighted. It was no human sound. Then she darted across the clearing, swift as a sparrow, graceful as a deer. I ended the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. And I always thought of Felurian as being green, that probably says more about me than uh, than anything else. But uh, on this page, we are told that her her skin is silver white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of her as being like uh, like kind of like reflectively sort of purple because Twilight is purple. Mm. Mm. I think her silver white skin is meant to connect her to the moon. I don't think she is the moon. I don't think she is like connected to the. I don't. I don't mean to say that like she and Denna and the moon are all one thing or whatever. Oh my god, Jeremy, not every female character is the moon. That's correct. But I do think that the fact that she appears in Moonlight, that that's when people come across her, I think that she might be connected to the moon in like in like a sort of spiritual portfolio sense. 
in much the same way as like like a unicorn is also associated with the moon and also typically silver white. Yeah, certainly silver white describes the moon. Earlier, we see that all the other people and how they react to what's happening before them. They're all, and it seems like they're all kind of making up their minds, like, am I going to go for it or not? Right. And like Martin with wants... the notable absence of Hespi. Nope. We, I, we get I Hespi's think reaction. I said this. Well, we get Hespi's reaction. We get Hespi's too. reaction I... to Dayton's action. But yeah. I, I just feel like, and I mentioned this before, I feel like a contemporary writer might have no problem having Hespi be attracted to Valerian as well. But back then, when this was written, it seems like that wasn't an issue. Yeah, well, I just think we're meant to take from that that Hespi's straight. She's like a zero on the Kinsey scale. <laughs> okay. All right. We're Kinsey scale in it. It's not like there aren't other queer characters in this book. There are. Yeah, I just think that the the spell should hook everyone, irrespective of uh, of orientation. Why do you think that? I just think like th- that magic should transcend such things. You know, maybe Florian's only interested in men. Certainly, like and I, we'll get to this, but her reaction kind of suggests that she has like hooked a fish uh, when she smiles and laughs. Like got one, you know. So maybe she is only interested in hunting oh, yes. men. Yeah. So you know, I also am not particularly interested in litigating the problematicness of this. There be plenty of time to litigate this problematic sequence. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee that some uh, woke scold on, uh, you know, tender queer Zoomer, if you made it so that, like, I think that if you made it the other way, then some people would say, oh, uh, so you're saying that anyone can be made to be straight or gay or bisexual if you just, like, compel them to. I think that there are people who would find that more unsavory than the idea that Valerian doesn't want to, like, force anybody to do something they don't want to do. And if someone's not attracted to her, it her spell doesn't work. Her spell can't make you do something that you're not already inclined to do. And we know that because of all the men's reactions too. They're not just like instantly hypnotized into going in there. They still have to decide for themselves. Both himself says, it was strong, but not so strong that I couldn't hold myself back. And that's what all the other men are doing, right? See, that's a good observation, Jeremy. It is a good observation that like, Quoth feels like he can hold himself back and then he sort of, he decides to go for it. And I can't help but wonder if that's the spell. Like it makes you think that you've decided to go for it or it like, maybe that is the bargain, right? Maybe that is the deal of the spell and that's why Felurian runs once Quoth decides to go is that you do have to consent, I guess, to becoming her prey. Yeah, you have to choose. It. Yeah, which is, and so like my first read is that this this was a compulsion you know, the spell itself makes you stop resisting it and think that you've consented. But you've kind of brought me around, Jeremy, to this idea that you have to like, maybe that's like the fey bargain is that you have to accept it. I know I know you want to talk about Hespi's slapstick uh, scene, so we can put a pin in, in what I'm saying. But I also want to talk about, I think that it's more, it's less interesting if Quoth doesn't choose to go. That's a good point. Like as a story, in what it says about him and in what it says about the other characters, the fact that he weighs the risks knowing from at least from what he's heard from a fairy story that like this could mean his death he's still like nope i gotta know what's going on with the with the singing fairy magic and i don't really care what the consequences are going to be i or i care i care less than i care about finding out what's going on and like pursuing this adventure and everyone else for various reasons stops themselves from going you know it seems like martin's uh, fear outweighs his uh, his desire dayton stands rigidly his face drawn 
I kind of wonder if Dayton is afraid. I think there's two possible ways to read his body language here. Either he is terribly afraid, but is trying, is doing a better job than Martin of hiding it. Because after all, he's the one who told us the story. Or he wants to go, but he is fighting his own struggle about his feelings for Hespi at the same time. Or at the very least, what Hespi might think of him if he did go. And then the thing that tips him over the edge is like, I'm not going to let the snot-nosed kid have his fun with Florian if I don't get to also have my fun. And then it is, yes, hilarious that Hespi's like, nope, not going to let that happen. <laughs> that like the comedy reading of that is like, she's doing it because she's like, no, 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 no. He's uh, he's mine. You can't have yeah, him. I, I... Uh, especially after the way that Dayton described Florian in the story. But I also think she's thinking, if I let him go, she will kill him. And I don't want him to die. Yeah. And she's saving his life. Well, we, okay, so we were talking earlier about, like, why the spell doesn't affect Hespi. Maybe the spell doesn't affect Hespi because she's already sweet on someone. And, like, maybe she's sweeter on Dayton than Dayton's on her. And that's why it, it affects him and not her. Yeah, and the spell reminds Koth of Losi, like, tactilely, like, he remembers her touch when he encounters it. So maybe it does kind of, like, it is related to feelings you already have. I mean, I think if that was the case, then why doesn't he think about Denna? Oh, good point. Because I don't think he thinks about Denna sexually, or at least he hasn't yet. I think that Losi was sort of like his first encounter with like a sexual desire. Okay. Yeah, re- reasonable. I can't say that I agree with that reading, but I accept your premise. I One other thing I want to talk about is the order of operations of things that Kvothe is proud of. Uh, he says, was I going to be like them, superstitious and afraid? No, never. I was of the Arcanum. I was a namer. I was one of the Edamara. Uh, and I feel like that is yeah. in ascending order. And it says something about Quoth's character in that these are the things that he is proud of, the things that kind of he feel he can draw, draw power from, yeah. draw identity from. Uh, Edamara being the most... Uh, the and most, it is three yeah, things. Like how he, I, it is three things. And I think that that's rhetorically powerful. It might also be significant in other ways, but I think you're right. Like he's literally like identifying himself, right? Like these are the identities from which he draws strength and like personhood, sense of self. Indeed. This is one sequence of the book. A a lot of this book is concerned with like telling us a story and then poking holes in it when we find out the reality and like making it kind of more mundane or less less fantastical, less outlandish, like more explainable. And this is one thing in the book that like we get like an explanation for certain things or we get like a a more complicated, a more detailed understanding of things, but it's still essentially true. Valerian appears in a pool of moonlight and beckons you into Fae where she then has her way with you. That's all true. That's all what's actually happening. And this is a part of Quoth's legend. Like so far, when we encounter parts of Quoth's legend, we it, the truth is usually undercuts the story. But in this case, uh, according to the story that narrator Quoth tells us, the the truth is very much a story. Like he tricks the fairy and and escapes with his sanity and his life uh, using his his cleverness to some degree. Like in the end, he like he he like pities her a little bit. Some of her magic has sort of gone away from him because he has come to understand her a little bit more. He also defeats her in a naming battle, although he doesn't know that's what it is at the time. Um, 
but there's a little bit of like an undercutting because he sort of like starts to see the the cracks i guess although it's not the same as like the dragon is actually just like a rare creature yeah like that's kind of what i mean right like Valyrian is like more we learn more about her we learn more details about her than the fairy tale that cloth hears can can give us but none of them as you say none of them like undercut the essential truth like no she is a powerful and kind of mysterious and and uh eldritch being uh that has magic that cloth can't really explain yes is there anything else we want to cover on this one I'm good we have a letter from jamie who writes on changes in translation Hello again, Big Three. I'm hereby outing myself as one of your German listeners. And yes, it is pronounced leitmotif, so you nailed it. I actually have some interesting tidbits to share about the German version of specifically Wise Man's Fear. I do own the English books, but the German audiobook is very good to fall asleep to. For one, that part right after Quoth calls lightning and falls unconscious, where you said it feels like a nice break, that's actually where the German version is split into two books. I suspect they might have done that because German tends to get a bit lengthier, so the book would have ended up way too thick to be practical. Onto the actual text, it always comes through how much care is put into the translation, and that Rothfuss gives specific instructions to his translators when a certain detail is important. For example, the song Arladen sings to his wife is changed around in meaning a bit, just so the last line can include the word lockerlass, which is all the proof I ever needed to make the Natalia Lackless theory canon. An even more interesting thing I've noticed is that while Dagon is described as having dark eyes in the original, he's translated to have black eyes, like a certain other person whose presence might make Quoth uneasy. They could have very easily just translated the word literally, and it would have been completely fine, but that change always stuck out to me. I'm curious to hear your opinions. Keep being great, and thank you for entertaining us all through this pandemic. Liebe Grube, kind regards, Jamie. That's... It, that's interesting about the German version. I, I kind of think you're right about why the books are split because this is a problem I run into in my day job where like we have to do a lot of our work in English and French and French is just on average like 130% longer word count wise than the English original when we translate it because French just uses more words to say stuff. Yeah, Roth has gone on record saying that Wise Men's Sphere is as long as it is because that is literally as long as a book can be. Uh, before it needs to be split into more volumes. So that is probably true. But I'm also, I'm equally certain that when they picked a place to split the books up, they like didn't just, you know, split it right down the middle. They like picked what's a good chapter to end on. I feel like looking at other translations is kind of cheating in a way. No, this is such good insight. Are you kidding? (laughs) This is so great. What a fantastic use of someone's bilingual skill. Go on. You want to talk about that a bit more? Uh, no, I'm just, that was it. I'm just, I'm really oh, impressed. Okay. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm I, just I, very impressed. That's it. <laughs> I would, you know, I think part of me would like to do a big uh, evidence board of all the different translations and all of the the through lines, the, the consistencies or the inconsistencies or the things that like confirm or uh, countermand various theories. But that, that seems a bit like, like cheating to me. I don't know, but I'm that's also a, a, a monolingual thug so i mean black eyes even if it's not like literally black eyes that does just give it an extra sinister cast you know like if you describe something you know like that calls to mind like a shark's eyes yeah and i mean if anyone is a front runner for being a chandrian it's dagon simply by the fact that he like has a vibe that both uh can't abide 
he does just have bad vibes. And also his name is like the name of a another supernatural evil in, you know, in pop culture. Yeah. Wait, whose name is... Although he might be a limited I mean, hangout he, also. Whose name is that of another evil person from other stuff? Dagon is a an elder god in the Lovecraft mythos. Yes. Yes. Good. Okay. I'm pretty sure that Dagon originated in Howard, actually, but uh, I don't. I can't back that up. You might be right. Oh, but those guys were writing letters. In any that. case, thank you for writing, Jamie. Uh, thank you for writing, Jamie. Uh, we'd love to hear more from you as well as from the rest of you. If you have any interesting insights, if you are uh, a non-English speaker and you have some insights from your translations you'd like to share, I'd be very interested Indeed. to hear. Although I also agree with your Janet Jordana that it is cheating. But whoever said we followed the rules on this podcast. I also feel like you don't mean non-English yes, speaker. Yes, who said it was bilingual cheating, so. speaker or multilingual speaker because we need them to at least be able to write their speaker. letter in English for us to be able to understand it because we're plebs. Google Translate exists. <laughs> That's true. Google Translate is not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. Don't get me wrong here. Folks, I, I'm not saying it's like, but we could probably figure it out. Substitute for based on a language. Google Translate, maybe. But also, why on earth would they listen to our podcast? Anyway, we have now gone far past. Yeah, we've gone far past the point of uh, interesting, and we have gone into uh, the deep banal canal. Are you saying we should get back to the page of the way? <laughs> <Wait. laughs> 